All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this third day of July 2018. Well, tomorrow is the 242nd birthday of the United States, although I think our country has evolved into something diametrically opposed to what our founding fathers gave to us back on July 4th, 1776. We declared our independence from Great Britain on that day because the King George, the King of England, was defying the natural rights of humankind in the colonies. The Declaration of Independence made it clear that people everywhere are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. However, what our founding fathers did not desire was for government to play the role of the creator, and they felt very definitely that the least government was the best government. The last thing they wanted was to copy the tyranny of King George, yet I believe that increasingly the United States government is returning to the tyranny, like King George, both within America and outside its borders. The basic requirements of our government, according to the Founding Fathers, was to grant us liberty to be who we as distinct individuals are. It was not to guarantee rights based on identity politics, but rather the right to be the individual God created each of us to be. No more, no less. They never intended government to be a welfare state because it did not assume the responsibility of God to ensure welfare from cradle to grave. They understood that if government began to become active beyond its basic obligations, it would then deprive its citizens of those natural rights and liberties. And I think that our founding fathers would be appalled by the military-industrial complex, along with the fake U.S. dollars issued by the Federal Reserve, which are nothing less than a theft of property at the hands of the state, uh, of, that is, theft of its own citizens' property. Nor did they believe in legalized theft through an income tax, which was not established until 1913. To fund a very limited government until 1913, revenues were acquired through only through excise taxes. What is most disappointing to me personally is our aggressive statist educational system that denies American children any knowledge of the basic intention of our founding fathers to use their God-given brains to explore truth. Nor are our children ever educated as to the virtues of free market economics, which are determined not by politicians, but by the natural laws of the universe. 
I am thankful that I live in America and that we still enjoy a prosperous and still relatively free country. But with government using modern technology to spy on all of us to make sure that we think, speak, and act exactly as the deep state declares we must, America has evolved into the very thing the Revolutionary War was fought against, namely to establish individual liberty. Certainly government was ordained to punish those who took away life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and property. It was to guarantee each of us the right to become the most we are created to, our creator intended us to be. Uh, But that never included guaranteed equal outcomes, which is uh, what certainly what the left wing of the establishment is demanding uh, in today's uh, in today's world. Given all of that, my celebration of the Fourth of July is a subdued one. It is a sober reflection of my own personal responsibilities as a citizen, in terms of what the founders had in mind for each of us back in 1776, and that's opposed to what the totalitarian political elite are demanding of each of us now. Most important, my ultimate Lord is the Creator of the universe, not Donald Trump or whom ever the Democrats may end up getting into the White House in the future years. Which leads me to an email I received last week from a listener. Uh, This individual writes, he says, Sir, why do you continue to have the same guests on your show over and over again? Why are all your guests always bullish on gold and bearish on the dollar? They have been wrong for years. Please bring on new interesting people for a change. End of quote. Well, the reason, for my, the reason for my show and the reason it exists is not dominated by a desire for popularity and profitability, or I would pay close attention uh, to the entertaining of whatever it takes to entertain my listeners and give them what they want to hear. Tell them what, they, what makes them happy and you know, try to make money that way, become popular, build up the numbers. No, that's not what I'm about. The reason for my show is my pursuit of objective truth. As I just noted, I am convinced our government has evolved into a government that would have our founding fathers rolling over in their graves if they were aware of what's going on now. The founders believed in natural laws, not political laws that subvert natural laws, to fit the whims of uh, politicians and bankers at the expense of the general population. They clearly believed in a supreme being, not a PhD from Harvard, Princeton, or Yale, but the creator of the universe. And those beliefs led them to limited government and, importantly, in my view, to free market economics. And as one who shares the beliefs of our founding fathers, I seek those guests that are of a similar mind who support their, that is, the basic philosophy of our founding fathers. And so this show is predominantly about the markets from a free market Austrian perspective. As far as my views on gold being incorrect, I think you need to define the time frame in which you judge uh, the correctness or incorrectness of, of the gold uh, being bullish on gold. When I first became interested in gold, it was selling at $35 an ounce. Since then, it has risen to $1,900 an ounce and is currently selling at around 1250 And gold relative to stocks has performed very, very well uh, over a long period of time. Gold is in a huge bull market longer term, huge bull market relative to the dollar, and unlike the dollar, it has maintained its purchasing power. Gold is real money. It is an asset money, while the charlatans of our government use debt-based money that has value only as long as people can be conned into using it and believing in it 
And as long as the system can pay its debts, when that day ends, that is when the debts can no longer be paid, as was nearly the case in 2008-2009, the system will inevitably end, and it will not end uh, in happiness. And so one of the issues I pay most attention to on this show is the potential end game for the dollar. If I were most interested in making money as fast as possible, more than in pursuing truth and helping people see the dangers ahead, I may be more interested in entertaining my listeners, giving them what they want to hear. But since my calling is a more serious one, I must continue to bring you guests on my show every week that I feel help seek out the truth. Now, turning to this show, uh, this week's show, let me say I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice of America Business Channel, in spite of the fact that I go my own way. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. This week, our sponsors are RN Resources, Balmoral Resources, Bonterra Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold, Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. I've titled today's show, The Progression of America's Decline, Richard Mayberry and Michael Oliver Return. Richard is a free market advocate and a very accomplished historian who has also served in intelligence gathering for the American military in the past. He has seen how the U.S. uses its power overseas to mistreat people because the U.S. has not, at least the military leaders, have not always paid attention to the Declaration of Independence that we will celebrate tomorrow. Now, some of the topics from Richard's most recent newsletter that I hope to have him discuss uh, are what Trump does not know about his foreign enemies. Uh, Is Donald Trump's trade war against China leading to a shooting war? A new but unrecognized global emergency? A new oil crisis and how you may profit from it? Japan's risk of invasion from its neighbors? And the coming internet disaster? I'm not sure that we'll get to all of those, but uh, some of them at least. And of course, you can subscribe to Richard's very reasonably priced newsletter to read uh, in detail all of what he had to say this week or this past month and uh, each of his monthly letters. We do have to take a commercial break now, but don't go away because before we talk to Richard Mayberry about some of the theoretical topics I just mentioned, Michael Oliver will be with me to provide a current snapshot of where his work suggests stocks, bonds, commodities, and precious metals are headed in the second half of this year. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Michael Oliver. It's been a while since I've talked to Michael. I was away on vacation in Europe uh, with my wife, and then uh, uh, John Rubino took the show that week, and then last week Michael was not able to be with us. So I'm really delighted that he's back uh, today, albeit not in his normal, usual, comfortable setting. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining me in any event. Thanks for going the extra mile to make yourself available. Um, yeah, so I understand that you're. Uh, we're, we're talking to you from a Walmart or someplace like that. No, I know a Costco. <laughs> a Costco. Okay. I found a quiet right. aisle. <laughs> you found a quiet yeah. aisle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it, it, as long as no shoplifters come along, I suppose we'll be okay. Right. So, yeah. okay. Um, all right. Well, a- anyway, I- I'm really glad that you could be with us again. Uh, in your, um, in a recent, I think it was June 27th, you wrote about gold. You provided some numbers uh, to watch on the downside, and when I read this, I said, uh-oh, is Michael now starting to think in terms of going neutral? Uh, might the bull market in gold be over? Uh, should I start bailing out of my, all of my gold stocks now? Uh, and um, you weren't quite saying that, but you were suggesting that, you know, keep your eye on the downside. But then right after that, you put out, uh, you put out some information on numbers to watch on the upside, so I guess I, I need to ask you if you could just talk a little bit about what you were talking about then. Could you, what are some of the downside targets, yeah, and, and and what are you more concerned about? Um, what do you think is well, most like? I, I suspect strongly that the downside's about over. Uh, we might have even seen it the other day, but uh, I had to be careful because you know I, I want to throw up the caution flag if I think it's going to have a little precipitous drop. So far, it's been an arm wrestling drop, and then it picked up a little speed over the last few weeks. But uh, that is uh, more of an exhaustion-type part of the decline, in my view. First off, the decline is six months old, Uh counting from the January momentum highs on monthly momentum to the June lows. And even though July took out the June price load, momentum did not take out the Mm -hmm. June price lows. So, so far, we Mm -hmm. get six months of downside. And when you measure via uh, monthly momentum using a three-month average is your metric. Um, and you get six bars in one direction. Uh, it's rare to ever find seven. And six is stretching it. So I think mm-hmm. the cost is not on the side of the bears. I think they got 
about all they're going to get. And it doesn't take much of a twitch on the upside to uh, begin to turn this thing around. I, I put out a report yesterday, specified some numbers that uh, frankly aren't but a half percent above today's high. Uh, that if we can see them in the next few days, it says, oh, okay, we're going the other way. Uh, this is not, not a one-way street anymore. And it mm-hmm. probably blows the place. So also a lot, of, a lot of markets are generating, I think, confusion right now and noise. Um, dollars have encountered trend rally, which I think is old and uh, withered as well. And it doesn't even show up on long-term charts, frankly. It only shows up when you look at micro stuff like dailies and weeklies. Uh, T-bonds have an counter-trend rally, which we expected, and I think there's more to it. Not not a lot more, but, you know, more time wasted on the upside. Uh, stock market's trying to confuse people, especially the U.S. market, uh, with uh, action that is both up and down uh, and almost sideways for the last couple months if you just look at a bar chart. So it's very confusing. It's all well below the high, with the rare exception being the, the FANG stocks and the NASDAQ 100 which, of course, fully represents them. Uh, but what's going on in Europe is interesting. It's, it's a little clearer in Japan as well, in China, in clear breakage. Uh, we, we call the downturn in the Shanghai Composite Index uh, to close of February. Uh, price is about, I think, 3,300. It's since collapsed down into the 2,700s, and that's a, you know, that's a huge percent drop. And you can ignore it if you want, but it's the second biggest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. And the other day, the Nikkei broke its quarterly momentum for the first time in two years. So it's joined the club. South Korea has broken down by our metrics. Um, and even Singapore. Uh, the tail end of last quarter just took a, a nosedive and, and did structural damage to long-term momentum. Now, that's going on. Then I've got the Euro stocks, 50, and the DAX. They broke quarterly momentum back in February. They're not challenging annual structures. So we're getting a lot of weakness in, in major developed market indices and Shanghai being sort of in, in between there. Um, and the U.S. is trying to ignore it, and I don't think that's going to persist. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, uh, that's what we're really watching for now with the, breakage, the next breakage points on the S&P and the NASDAQ. Yeah, well, if I look at your, um, if I look at your what you put in your weekend missive, Michael, concerning the S&P, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on your momentum chart, clearly shows a breakdown from the peak mm-hmm. back in 2018, right? Early in early in the year. Um, yes. I mean, I don't see that you can read it any other way in terms of momentum. Uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the, the uh, in terms of the price as well. I mean, it looks like it's broken down, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah, I quite it, agree. Yeah, and and getting back to gold again. Um, if you were to look at the price chart, uh, the momentum breakdown is, is quite clear, I think, if you look at the momentum charts that you have. Uh, I mean, not the, the, uh, that is that it hasn't broken down on the gold, on the gold market, right. even though right. the price would suggest maybe it has. But, so that's what you're saying, is that... Uh, well, there's, there's just, been, you know, since, since we got bullish on gold in 11.40 back in February 2016, there have been some big sell-offs of gold. And it keeps coming back up to the 1350 zone, and then gets sold off again. The last time it went to 1350 was in March, and it nested there so quietly you could drop, you hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. Highly unusual, but quite often quiet markets, if they're at a point, this is a price chart level now that's this important, because anybody can now see this 1340 50 level as a, as a, 
a big line in the sand that if you can get through it, the price guys are going to get excited. Well, this time they got up there and got quiet. And sometimes when you have a quiet action trying to get through a resistance or a support level, in this case overhead mm-hmm. resistance, it doesn't work. And what mm-hmm. you need to do is have a tantrum. We increase the volatility of that given market so that when it goes, goes to the structure the next time, it's got some oomph to it. Gold didn't have mm-hmm. any oomph up there. It was so dormant. Our volatility readings on gold were just, you know, pancaked. Yeah. And now that you've picked up some volatility readings, if you turn, you might turn with volatility, not with mm-hmm. a quietness. So mm-hmm. it, it might be to the advantage of the bulls that we pulled back that last time from that very clear mm-hmm. trend line you know, in the price charts. It goes across mm-hmm. the highs going back to 2013. It's almost flat. And uh, if you can ever clear that, in our numbers, 1340 actually, on a monthly close, as far as we're concerned, the, the price chart then sort of joins in with what Momentum already said two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, I, I, I'm looking at the chart today, and I think at least in the cash market, we were at uh, 1257, 1256, something like that. You're saying a half a percent above that, and we could be off to some much higher numbers, I guess. Yeah, I've got some numbers in the low 1260s, close the week there, it should be over. Period. 1260. Week, that, 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 yeah, 1260. Now, next week, that number's going to drop. Uh-huh. It's going to drop probably well into the 1250s if you can close uh-huh. next week out above that level. Uh-huh. Then to me, it says, okay, circle it. You've seen your sell-off. We're now in the process. the other way. question is, what kind of speed? Uh, if we inherited some volatility, we can now use on the upside. Mm-hmm. All right, Michael, with just a couple of minutes left here yet, um, I, I'm looking at... Um, Let's see, you, you mentioned the dollar. Uh, I think it's, what about silver? I mean, this is just really seems silver, to be a basket silver, case. It, yeah, uh, it's, silver is so dormant for a year and a half or more in a box about a dollar fifty wide. And it's probed near the bottom end of it. It actually hasn't taken out the bottom end of the box to go back several, you know, six, up nine months or so. It was a low lower than we've seen in this break. So it's been really... It looks like the GDX, very dormant, very mm-hmm. sideways, almost abnormal looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but silver looks to me like if you turn up in gold and silver turns, silver's going to outpace gold. And my first number on silver right now is a monthly close for this month at 1648 or higher, which is like about the middle of the last month's range. Not, not quite even that high. Uh, so if you go back up about in the middle of the June range, close out the month of July, as far as I'm concerned, it's over, it's going to launch. And there's a couple other trigger numbers above that as well that should give it even more on the upside. But I think it'll outpace gold mm-hmm. at that point in time. All right. Now, it seems uh, one other market, it seems you're trading a bit cool on in the commodity sector. Um, that's my perception. Correct me if, if, uh, if it's different. Uh, oil and copper. While on the other hand, right. you're, you're as bullish as can be yet on the grains. And I yep. guess... Um, you know, neutral, uh, neutral, but, there, right? <laughs> yeah, what's that? Yeah. I think so I we've had a mud on my face there. The soybean action in particular can very weak because of the uh, tariff stuff that's uh-huh. focused solely uh-huh. on soybeans. The, the Chinese say, well, we'll buy your soybeans, which is an impossibility because later in the season they're going to have to because they'll run out of Brazilian. But uh, the other grains, when you look at them as a package, a group, everything from uh, corn, wheat, uh, oats, rough rice, and put them all in a basket, take a look at them on price charts and annual momentum, you get a totally different picture than you do when you look at soybeans. So mm-hmm. I regard soybeans as a, as a deceptive, errant market, and it, uh, 
ultimately these others are are gelled and ready to go up. And uh, particularly wheat's quite still above our breakout levels. Corn's pulled back slightly below our breakout levels, but acting well. Oats look great. Uh, rice looks great. So all these uh, growing um, food commodities, which have been laying on their back for three years, I think they're a bargain. I think they're a place to be for the next several years. And, uh, you know, for people who are looking for something that hasn't been up for 10 years straight in a row and supported by central banks, the grains haven't. And they've gone to theoretical zero. They've proven it for three years. We're just not going any lower. Therefore, that's the place to be. Uh, and I think there's enough signal of upside intent out there that uh, it's the place to be now. And I would divest myself of uh, copper and oil. We've suggested our copper back uh, a week or two ago, and it's since dropped 20 cents. Uh, and uh, oil, I'm suspicious of, of a very sharp correction. All right. Well, those are some key commodities, but, um, you know, we we like it because you uh, you, you call them as you see them. Uh, very impa- not impassioned, but basically, um, you know, your objective uh, view of the markets, which is always so important. It's so easy uh, uh, to become emotional in various markets. You know, we if you turn on the TV now and uh, watch uh, M- watch uh, CNBC or or, uh, or Fox or any of the business channels, they'll tell you that uh, hey, that the market's down now. It's a it's a good time to buy the dips. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, th- those people are not paying much attention to your structural charts. I would say your tru- structural momentum charts, and uh, they might do well to do that. I would I would suggest. Uh, uh, all I can say is that you've been just spot on. I mean, I, I think though. Uh, tell me if you're if I'm wrong about this. I think you you're a bit surprised that the uh, equity markets have held up as well as they have, though. No. Well, sort of. We we defined it. Uh, I think about six months ago, we had a debate with ourselves. And put out a report that said, don't expect this to be 87 or 29. Uh-huh. It's going to be an arduous, just the term we use, arduous top. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I, and so far, it's definitely been arduous. Uh, and uh, though it, that has done some objective breakage to the major trends, there's still more to come. It's not one big number you hit that go from you know green light to red light. Uh, yeah. When you analyze a market, there's always different layers of breakage that increase the gravitas of the move. And uh, I think that we're getting there, and I think we will get there this quarter, but particularly because I'm seeing the evidence in the other major markets like I, that I listed early on that have mm-hmm. now broken through major stuff. And we can yeah. try to ignore it if we want, but uh, good luck. So we're still, uh, we're, we're still looking at a bull market in commodities in general. Do you think there's a time yet in this longer-term perspective for bulls for commodities that some of those weaker commodities could, could have another run yet? Uh, oil yes, and, I think and copper, are, for example? Yeah, I think, I think those two that we, we mentioned, copper and oil, have had huge moves over the last two and a half years. Huge percent mm-hmm. moves. Better than the S&P. Far better. Bigger. Mm-hmm. bigger. Uh, but it's been almost uninterrupted. And when I look at the some long-term charts, yes, they're positive because they're they're in uptrends, uh, but they're extended, mm-hmm. and uh, even the momentum readings are too extended. And therefore, I'm highly suspicious. And sure enough, since we put out that report, copper has taken a real dive, and yes. I, that's probably correlated to China. And I think oil is uh, probably going to have a very sharp break sometime in the next three to six months which mm-hmm. will correct it within the context of its long-term trend. But in the meantime, the commodities that didn't go up, some soft commodities, primarily mm-hmm. food commodities, I think will take the ball and run with it. 
and that's mm-hmm. the place to be. It was by the by the dogs of last year, you know, mm-hmm. like some Dow yeah. players are. You know. Yeah, the dogs of the commodities, yeah. so the, the dogs, dogs of the, the Dow. Those are the ones uh, but, to buy. The, But then, Michael, with respect to the precious metals, the monetary metals, if you will, gold and silver, I I guess they are really more reflective of the outcome of the currency, and you're still very bearish on the dollar, I believe, right? Absolutely. I I don't trust the uh, dollar rally. The dollar rally is uh, impressive when you look at uh, near term, but when you stand back and look at very long-term charts, it's... uh, it's Long-term momentum charts—it's it, a joke. It, it barely even shows up on, on the long-term annual momentum charts, and so I think it is a bear market rally. I think it'll fail, and uh, you'll, you'll get out deep into the 80s uh, before it's the dollar index. That is uh, right now All right. about 94. All right, Michael. We'll have to leave it go at okay. that. We're out of time. I want to thank you again for being with us, folks. It's OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com. Go there. Subscribe to Michael's letter. Uh, boy, if you're a serious investor, uh, it's invaluable. I, I, I couldn't do without it. Thank you so much for being with us, Michael. And Thank you, Jim. We'll look to have you on again next week if possible. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go. All right. Take care. Well, we're going to go to break now. Uh, don't go away, though, because Richard Mayberry is going to be with me to discuss some very important and interesting uh, issues that are taking place in today's world with regard to the American empire, uh, the dollar, and uh, other very important issues. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Mayberry. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with us again a personal friend of mine, a wonderful newsletter writer, um, 
just full of lots of wisdom and, and history and a lot of experience because, like me, he's no spring chicken anymore. His name is Richard Mayberry. Rick, thanks for being with me again. Well, thank you, Jay, and uh, and thanks for the job you do on your radio show here. Um, it's uh, very rare to find somebody who is willing to step outside the conventional thinking, and um, and you do that very, very well, and you have guests who do that. And I uh, personally, I appreciate it, and thank you very much. Well, I thank you, and of course, uh, the same goes for you in terms of stepping outside of the mainstream. Uh, you know, we're, we're celebrating the. 4th of July, and I did in my monologue today, talked about how I'm disappointed in many ways, and I think that the Founding Fathers would be as well. The idea of liberty and the personal liberty, each of us are individual people. Nobody quite like us in the world. Uh, and uh, in order to, our Founding Fathers wanted each of us to be personally free, to be who we are created to be, and I know you believe that very strongly, that's why you're a libertarian why you believe in limited government and free market economics, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, but you are definitely one of those. And, it's, of course, it's no secret. I explained to uh, someone who was critical of having the same guests on all the time that, hey, I have to go with the guests that I believe are in pursuit of truth, not necessarily what's going to bring me the highest numbers, how many, you know, how can I make the most money, how can I get the most listeners, but I have a core belief, in, in, uh, and I know you do, and mm-hmm. it's to pursue what is true. And I know you're very much that way, too, and that's why I really love to have you. Um, it's early wa- earlywarningreport.com where people should go to learn more about your work. Right, Richard? That's right. Early Warning Report. Richard Mayberry's Early Warning Report. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, there's actually we've got a... Uh, special offer going on now. Uh, you can get it for about a third off if oh, good. Uh, if you take advantage of that offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, it's a, a third off of a price that's not onerous to begin with. So let me just tell my my listeners. I hope that they'll that that you all out there will take advantage of Richard's offer. Um, you know, uh, Richard, your letter is all about adopting to and profiting from the collapse of the federal government's empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, your your letter touches uh, that on that not not only related to the general theme, but happily it also offers ideas as to how we Americans might actually protect ourselves and perhaps even profit from the insights that you provide in your letter about what is really going on as opposed to what the establishment would have us believe is happening. Um, so I want to ask you how, how close do you think uh, the American Empire is right now? I mean, we, you you talk a lot about profiting from the collapse. I mean, it sounds like uh, it's not something that's a nice thing to do. I mean, let's not profit from other people's miseries, right? But but understanding what's going on is important to protecting yourself. And so this whole notion of the uh, the demise of the American empire, uh, I think it's already, I mean, it wasn't to be an empire, but what we have now is nothing like the founding fathers suggested. But in terms of what we have now, how close do you think we are to some serious challenges? Um, now, let's uh, quickly uh, define what we mean by the empire, um, and that is the federal government's uh, meddling in other countries around the world and trying to intimidate uh, those governments into dancing to Washington's tune. Uh-huh. And and they uh, there's hardly... Well, actually, I did some, and my researchers do some, some looking at that. 
a few years ago, and they could not find any country on earth where the federal government does not meddle. Um, mm-hmm. And seriously, uh, the, the federal government, usually by using American tax money to bribe other, other governments to dance to, the, to Washington's tune, they, um, they influence political events all over the world in every country. And um, there's just, ever since World War II, um, there's just been this slowly growing resentment of Washington's interventions in other countries. And it just gets worse all the time because their, inven- their interventions get worse. Uh, an ex- example that I've been studying quite a bit and, and reporting on in the newsletter um, that's really, really growing fast is Africa. It used to be mm-hmm. the federal government didn't pay a lot of attention to Africa. Well, there are 54 African countries and the U.S. government has troops in 50 of them mm-hmm. helping prop up those governments. And every one of those governments has enemy, enemies, a lot of them, sometimes millions of enemies that hate those governments because um, virtually all of those governments are the type that an American re- would regard as tyranny. Mm-hmm. Out, of the, <clears throat> out of the 54 African governments, there might be two, let's say, that an American would be somewhat comfortable living under. The rest of them are just outright tyrannies of one brand or another. And the federal government helps prop up 50 of those 54 governments. And so by doing that, they are, are making the enemies of those governments enemies of you and me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... It's it's uh, it's a horrible thing, and it's been the case all over the world for my entire lifetime. And when I was uh, I was drafted into the Air Force during the Vietnam War, and I wound it up in Central America in the 605th Special Operations Squadron. And our our main job was to train and equip the troops of these these Latin American dictators. Um, to help these these dictators stay in power. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at the time, you know, I was 20 years old. I was really stupid about geopolitics. I had no understanding of what we were doing, and I just just figured they were telling us the truth that this was good for America. But as I've gotten older and I've learned a few things, I realized that that uh, they were just using us for purposes that were were very unethical and uh, very bad for America. We were, in, in propping up these dictators, we were making America enemies of those dictators' enemies. Uh, every, every one of those countries um, at that time, except Costa Rica probably, um, had uh, some sort of rebellion going on and uh, we were there, um, help, you know, helping fight the rebels. And I realized today we should have been on the side of the rebels. We were we were on the wrong side in all of those. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the story around the world. Um, the federal government takes sides with terrible, evil regimes all over the place, and um, and makes more enemies for America. And, and the whole thing is starting to come apart. And it's, that's what the so-called terrorism is all about, is mm-hmm. all of these uh, victims of these, these puppet uh, dictators um, 
are, are just deciding they've had it. They're not going to put up with Washington's meddling in their lives anymore, and they're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Well, so I would like to... Pre- yeah, I, w- I would like to pursue some of the um, uh, some of the threats that I think you've touched on in your newsletter in your in your uh, July letter, which I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talk certainly about China and the South China Sea. You seem to be suggesting that the U.S. is definitely losing its influence, uh, its power in that part of the world. Would you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, um, this idea that the, the U.S. government should. Um, should be the the monitor monitor of the world. Should keep an eye on everybody and make everybody behave according to U.S. principles, and um, to just generally dominate the world. That came about at the end of World War II, and at the time when that policy was adopted, um, the U.S. Navy had more than six thousand warships. And it had easily had the ability to impose Washington's rule on anybody. There was no serious opposition whatsoever to Washington's power at that time, especially considering the Navy had more than 6,000 warships. We're talking about 1945. Well, today, the the Navy doesn't have 6,000 warships. It has about 270. Wow. And it's trying to still... Uh, pursue this attempt to control everybody. Well, there's no prayer. They don't have a chance of doing that. Um, and you know, the the linchpin of the U.S. overseas empire is the aircraft carriers. And in 1945, when they adopted this policy, they had 109 aircraft carriers. Today, they've got 11. And they're still trying to pursue this domination all over the world, just to impose Washington's ideas on what kind of government you should have and how it should behave on the whole world. And it's, it's just coming apart at the seams. It's a, a terrible mess. There, in the newsletter, I, I use the example. It's like watching somebody who's sitting in a bathtub that has, let's say, dozens of ping-pong balls, and they're trying to hold all these ping-pong balls underwater at the same time. And that's what Washington's doing around the world now. And it's hopeless. And the, what you've got, you know, the, the main focus of this um, is going to uh, the governments of Russia and China because they are the new military powerhouses over there. And they have decided that uh, they're going to expand their own empires. And Washington doesn't like that. And so you have this um, three-way opposition uh, to each other uh, developing, this three-way contest uh, on the expansion of their empires. And, uh, you know, probably the most dangerous case is China. they, for thousands of years, the Chinese government uh, controlled the, Ch- the South China Sea and the East China Sea. And um, as I explained in, in early warning report, in 1918, along came uh, President Wilson, who just decided that there would be freedom of the seas, meaning that governments that own sections of, of ocean wouldn't be allowed to own them anymore and that the U.S. Navy would be used to prevent ownership of them. 
Well, now that uh, Moscow and Beijing are really big military powers, they want their their territory back. Their ocean territories were lost, and now they want them back. Uh, they're going to going to uh, nullify President Wilson's freedom of the seas idea. Now, nobody ever voted on freedom of the seas. There, there was no, no kind of uh, uh, legal backing to it until the U.S. pressured, I should say, until Washington pressured the U.N. into uh, making up the freedom of the seas law that they did then. And so uh, the U.N. now has this, as of 1982, this idea that there should be freedom of the seas, that all these governments uh, should be deprived of their, their historic territories. Yeah, good. One of the really best examples is um, the Persian Gulf. The Persian mm-hmm. Gulf was owned by Persia, which is Iran, for 25 centuries. <laughs> and, uh, and the official rule is, you know, the official rule promulgated by uh, 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 Wilson and enforced today by the U.S. Navy is that uh, the Iranians shouldn't own it anymore. <laughs> yeah. It contains all that oil. So um, there's this, this simmering war going on all the time. The Iranians want their property back, and um, and Washington won't let them. And it's all it all came from from Wilson's just wild idea that there ought to be freedom of the seas. So um, that's an example of how this empire is just coming unglued. You have uh, the Iranians, and you have Moscow and Beijing, and, and uh, some other countries that are saying, "Oh no, no! You know, we used to own that. We want it back." Well, yeah. the, the Navy's only got 270 ships. What are they going to do about it? Right. So that there's a tension building here that's tremendous that the mainstream press isn't paying any attention to, and I think it's it's going to lead to something really horrific. And again, that that newsletter, the July issue refers to very possibly Japan being one of the places that's going to blow up. Yeah, in fact, uh, you, you sort of refer to Japan as, uh, as being very vulnerable right now to China and to Russia and some of those powers, right? Yeah, militarily, uh, the Japanese are practically helpless. And I go into detail in that in early warning report as showing that um, the Japanese, uh, the quality of the Japanese military equipment is pretty good stuff. You know, it's, it's good, but they have very little of it, and they don't have a prayer against either Beijing or Moscow. They're, they're actually military pipsqueaks compared to those two, and they, sh- they certainly couldn't stand up against both of them at the same time. So... Um, the, the, and the Japanese, too, um, and I explained this, too, in the newsletter, that the, um, the typical, uh, well, what happened after World War II is the, the U.S. government told the Japanese government, you don't need to have a real military force. If somebody attacks you, we will use American blood and treasure to protect you, to rescue mm-hmm. you. And the Japanese took that to heart, and they never built up much of a military force. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much helpless. And their people have been taught to be fasc- uh, excuse me, have been taught to be uh, pacifists mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, to to live comfortably under this American umbrella. They 
they like living or hiding behind Washington skirts. Mm-hmm. And so when they go in the military, they don't see their military force as something that's supposed to protect Japan. They see the military force as a kind of fire department that helps people in earthquakes and and uh, tidal waves, mm-hmm. uh, tsunamis. Mm-hmm. So um, they their military force is small, and it, and the troops may look good, they may look polished and all, but they don't see themselves as protectors of Japan. They see you and me in Washington and American. Uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen as their protection. That job's being done by America, and they mm-hmm. don't really have to be serious about it. Mm-hmm. So they really are sitting ducks. They, the the most important uh, factor in military operations, uh, most important uh, um, factor that decides between success and failure is the morale of the troops. If the troops want to fight. That's a whole different thing than if they don't want to fight. You can give mm-hmm. them the very best equipment in the world. They can be the most well-trained. But if they don't want to fight, they're going to lose. And the Japanese don't want to fight. Yeah. That's the key point right there. Because Washington has taught them that it's not their job to protect their country. It's America's job. So you've got Beijing right there. You've got the North Koreans right there next to Japan. You've got Russia right there next to Japan. And Japan is this, this great big, wealthy, <laughs> soft target. Um, you add it all up. I mean, it's, it's a grim situation. Well, Richard, it seems as though in that way uh, America has had control of Japan. Uh, we're defending them, uh, supposedly, so therefore we can probably dictate a lot of other things in terms of how they their policies, their monetary policies even, I suppose. Yeah. I wonder, though, to what extent the same uh, thing might apply to Europe. We've been defending uh, NATO. It's been there to defend Europe. It's been funded largely, by the, to a great extent, by the U.S. anyway, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. The same thing might apply to Europe. Europe has become sort of soft, uh, easy life, great life, not worry about really uh, defending themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it applies even more so. The, the Japanese, um, as soft as they are, um, they're a bunch of Sergeant Yorks and Audie Murphys compared to the Europeans. Um, and I give some statistics there in early warning report about mm-hmm. um the, for instance, the German military and the British military and all, I mean, they could hardly fight their way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. They, they, the whole, um, there isn't a country, with the possible exception of France, uh, mm-hmm. there isn't a country in Europe, out of all the dozens of countries there, um, that is as strong as Egypt or Pakistan. Wow. <laughs> Um, and and it's the same story. Uh, <laughs> one of the statistics that I, I I remember off the top of my head is the mighty German Air Force has ninety four jet fighters. Mm. Yeah, um, they only have a couple hundred main battle tanks. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is insane. It's uh, it's just uh, these people are are unprotected, except for. Washington's promise to protect them with American blood and treasure. 
So, um, <clears throat> obviously, as people like Putin in Moscow are trying to expand the, or let's say re-expand the Russian Empire, um, they're bumping up against these helpless Western Europeans, and and so this is a really hot situation too. And again, mm-hmm. the U.S. armed forces are nowhere near big enough to handle all of these contests around the world if these people all decide to move at the same time. If you find the Iranians, the Russians, the the Chinese, maybe a few others, uh, North Koreans, all decide to move at the same time, the U.S. military will be helpless. They will have no chance of opposing all of them. And, of course, if you and I know that, then all those other governments know that, too. Sure. So you've got a situation here where we're all we're all sitting on a time bomb, and and nobody wants to admit it. Right. Well, uh, why do you think the the U.S. is? I mean, is is it just a, simply a matter of ex- overextending our uh, our material capabilities? That is, guns and butter. We remember very well during Vietnam, we went off the gold standard so we could print money to expand the empire, to pay for it, to to build the military and expand it around the world. But you're, as you're suggesting, uh, from your perspective anyway, woefully inadequate to defend the empire. So you're saying from a purely militaristic point of view, we're in trouble. I wonder also to what extent the financial aspects of our situation plays into that as well. I mean, how could we ever afford to build up things as you're suggesting we would need to to defend the empire? It looks to me like it's impossible given the trillion, $1.2 trillion deficit Mr. Trump will inherit in his this next year. Yeah, I think it is impossible, and that's why I'm pretty convinced, you know, I guess you'd say as convinced as I can be, um, that there's going to be a military buildup that's going to be global. Um, it will happen in the U.S. It is it's actually started in the U.S., but it will s- spread around the world because all these other governments now are beginning to wake up to the fact that they're helpless and that uh, the U.S. government has lost the will to protect them and that doesn't have the firepower to protect them. And so they've got to do it themselves. So they're all going to, and I shouldn't say all, but a great many of them, uh, well, they've started to build up their militaries, but they've got a long, long way to go before they can stand up against the threats like Moscow and Beijing. So... I think you've got um, more, pretty much a global military buildup that's beginning, and um, that's one of the reasons that uh, you know I recommend defense stocks so much, mm-hmm. and I have for many, many years, because uh, this, <clears throat> the world is full of really nasty people, and there's a whole lot of helpless people out there that Washington has made helpless. In mm-hmm. Washington, now Washington has plenty of firepower to protect America. There's, there's just no possibility that anybody's going to attack America. The U.S. military is far more than adequate to protect America, but it is very, very far from able to protect all of the couch potatoes and wimps that it's created around the world. Okay. Richard, we're going to have to leave it go at that because we're out of time already. I would just tell my listeners that there's so many things in your July letter 
Uh, I read off a list of things. What Trump does not know about his foreign enemies? Is Donald Trump's trade war against China leading to a shooting war? I think you sort of answered that one. A new but unrecognized global emergency. A new oil crisis and how you can profit from it. Japan's risk, we talked on that, uh, Japan's risk from its neighbors. The coming internet disaster. There's so, so much in your newsletter. Richard, I just want our listeners to take advantage of that 30% discount. Uh, and again, it's uh, Mayberry, I'm sorry, the, the website, again, I keep forgetting, and I shouldn't, it's early morning report, early morning report, uh, dot com, right? Okay. Yes, and can uh, I give the 800 phone number? Yes, please, do that. Yeah, it's 800-509-5400. Again, 800 Excellent. Folks, take advantage of that, really. I, I, I command that you do that because it's, it's just very, very important. And I think also profit-making opportunities that Richard provides there as well. Very, very good stuff. All right, Richard, thank you so much for being with us. We'll hope to do it again in the near term. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, Jeff Clark will be with me, uh, Nav Dhaliwal, Bonterra Resources, and hopefully Michael Oliver as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.